Hey guys, welcome back to Better From The Ground Up, and today we are going to have guest Paul Bodenstein on with us again, and we are going to talk about wheat production strategies. So we're going to talk about, here's some applications that are coming up, and here's some key things that we think you should be doing and looking for as far as wheat production goes. Every morning when you get up, you run up the flag that says balanced nutrition, and you salute it every morning. That's what I'm here to do today. That's my strategy. There's no magic program for everybody. It's about identifying what's most limiting and fixing it. So it's amazing what the crop can do when your nutrition is squared away and everything's good and adequate and balanced. Hey guys, Cody Goins here. Welcome back to Better From The Ground Up. And we are here again with Paul Bodenstein of Ashland, Virginia. Ag Systems is, is Paul's business. And um, we are going to talk today about wheat production strategies. Um, so the wheat's in the ground, obviously. Um, it's in the ground. It's up. We're getting ready to be making our first nitrogen application. Um, one of the things that Paul has taught us on wheat is we want to make that first nitrogen app um, between 800 and 1,000 GDUs. Correct, Paul? That's correct. And we know based off of our historical tissue testing that we struggle with boron, zinc, and molybdenum. Um, so those are going in the tank. Um, so, Paul, with our, our first nitrogen app, um, you know, we're, we're going to make that. And then we'll come back with another nitrogen app, and we'll have a flag leaf fungicide with probably nutrients in there based on the tissue sample. Um, but can we talk a little bit about why we are, first of all, why are we applying this nitrogen by 1,000 GDUs, and why are we adding the boron, zinc, and molybdenum in the tank? What's that doing for us? Why are we doing what we're doing? Um, we don't have to go super in-depth, but... I just want to give people a little bit of, little bit of the whys behind what we're recommending. Okay, good, good question. Um, <clears throat> we know that the plant around eight hundred to a thousand GDUs, <clears throat> excuse me, the soft red winter wheat that we're producing. Uh huh. That's when each tiller or plant that wants to be a tiller. Will put its own root down, okay, and start to draw nutrients up with that with its own root. If, okay, if thinks if the I hate to say it like this because it's not thinking, but if the mother plant thinks there's not enough nitrogen there, that tiller will abort. Okay, so when you go back when you go back to limiting fat, you know I know it's a broken record. What is most limiting in wheat production? <laughs> Soft red winter wheat east of the Mississippi River, and it's producing tillers. Okay. Okay. So we average about three, maybe four tillers per seed. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you go to the white wheat area in the Pacific Northwest, which is very, very dry, and it's white wheat, not red wheat, but it is first cousins. They're, average, they're harvesting eight tillers per seed. Where's this and at? Pardon? Where is this at? Pacific Northwest, the white wheat okay. area. Okay. Yeah, we've Palouse. talked about this a little bit. Yep. Okay. Loose, loose on the Palouse. Yes. And so that's one of the reasons why we sow so many seeds per, and they sow so little. Okay. They're not sowing a bag to the acre. We're sowing two and a half bags to the acre. 
Anyway, so it's trying to preserve tillers. And then we have primary, secondary, and tertiary, quaternary, first, second, third, and fourth position tillers, and the heads keep getting smaller. All their heads are exactly the same size. It's really quite remarkable. So how do we work on keeping tillers? Well, nitrogen's a big part of that. You got to have some available nitrogen out there. Mm -hmm. So when those tillers called the white root phase, when the tillers start to put that root out, they need some nitrogen. It's cold. So any microbial activity that was releasing soil nitrogen comes basically to a screeching halt because they don't work when it gets below 50 degrees, 55 degrees, 60 degrees, 65 degrees. Okay. Somewhere in that range. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this 30 to 40, maybe in some cases, 50 pounds of nitrogen we're putting. We're trying to get at that in that, generally speaking, that January 20th here to February 20th, your way, somewhere in that window. Uh-huh. So that when that plant does start to break dormancy, there's nitrogen there. Now, having said that, we add, do add, recommend, in most cases, zinc, boron, and molybdenum. Zinc is helped to improve nitrogen uptake and utilization. So zinc has got to do with more tillers per plant. Okay? Okay. There are... There are if nitrogen is not being able to utilize and it does suck up more nitrogen than it can use, sometimes it's, it, it, it'll form openings on the cell walls, on the stems, and it's a place for diseases to enter. Okay. So zinc has also got to do with plant health. So we're trying to get more tillers and healthier tillers with that. Boron, with boron, we're trying to get more grains per head okay so if you take an average in virginia north carolina if you add cut all the heads and you count this the number of stalks we average about 23 to 24 to 25 kernels per head now having said that the primary tiller the first head coming out that one might have 40 or 43 but then as you come in second position tillers third position tillers fourth position tillers the heads get smaller, and that's what brings the average down to about 23 to 25 kernels per head. Wow. Just another couple kernels per head adds you know, dozens of bushels to the acre when you're talking about a million six, a million seven plants. Okay. The molybdenum is for test weight and higher falling numbers. So the molybdenum is a wheat, is a wheat quality issue. Okay. So we're trying to get if you're in if you can hear if you can get into if you can get into the food grade milling quality wheat we get a bonus we get a premium okay but even in the feed grade you don't get paid extra for test weight but you sure as hell get docked if you don't have good test weight that's a quality quality uh, parameter so okay that's why we're putting those nutrients on there and then we would normally. Hopefully we've controlled our weeds in the fall. Right. That that's done. I don't know that growers have a full appreciation for how much competition weeds are on wheat. Right. No, it's, they don't. If your weeds, if your hen bit chickweed, mm -hmm. whatever's getting bigger than the size of a quarter, you're competing with wheat and you're hurting yields. 
Okay. Right? Yep. So, but if you've missed them or you haven't done it, uh, I don't have any problem putting Harmony Extra or even QX out when it's cold, as long as it's going to be above freezing a couple of days before and a couple of days after. Okay. If it's going to be below freezing in that window, you probably should back off. It won't okay. kill it fast as if it was warm, but it will stun it, stop it from growing, kill it eventually. Okay. And then we're looking for what I call the cool season wheat diseases. Yep. So there's three of them. There's septoria leaf blight, there's powdery mildew, and there's tan spot. Now, tan spot you don't normally see unless it's wheat after wheat. But if you plant wheat after wheat, especially no-till, you're going to see tan spot. So, okay. So when the snow melts and we're out in the field, those are three of the key ones you're looking for. Those are the three big ones. For They're the cool season ones. Okay. Now, later on, we're going to have the warm season disease weeds, and that's going to be gloom blotch, which is head septoria, if you want to call it that. Okay. We're going to be looking for uh, any of your rusts, and we're going to be looking at scab. Okay. So those are, those are ones that are going to come later when, it's, when it warms up. The cool season ones can only grow and invade when it's cool. The heat will stop them. If you see on. the cool season ones, are you putting fungicide in with your second nitrogen app? Or are you waiting We're to putting fly it in We're putting it, in putting it with the first app? Yep. I'm using either four ounces of, of generic tilt or tilt. Yep. Or I'm using five ounces of uh, Top Guard. Okay. The Top Guard here in Virginia, and I think it, I know it does in Illinois, I look, they've got a reduced rate, five ounce rate instead of a 10 ounce rate for wheat, winter application of wheat. Okay. So that that's a that that's a better chemical on tan spot if you're weed after weed and have tan spot. In my opinion, anyway, I think it does a better job. So those would be what we're doing. And we broadcast this. I know y'all stream a lot. We yeah. Broadcast it. We broadcast it. Um, we'll cut the nitrogen with some water if we have to, but very seldom do we see any kind of visible leaf burn from this application broadcasting nitrogen. Are you guys running twenty eight? O O or twenty eight double O five usually. Okay, so that's Damn. the same thing that we're usually running. Yeah, we got in a couple scenarios where we saw some burn and some guys didn't like it, and so it's like, all right, we'll go back to streaming. But you and I have talked about that, and correct me if I'm wrong here. You said that we know that we'll get worse nitrogen burn if the wheat is deficient on manganese, right? That's correct. No, um, problem. no, no doubt about that. Okay, so which which is kind of that's really cool. <laughs> I would have never in a million years. It's an ongoing issue for y'all. It indicates uh, uh, some microbial uh, lacking or or, or active low low microbial activity. The manganese is a tough tough element to get into the plant. Uh-huh. We rely on uh, a lot of different ways of getting getting it into the plant. Okay, so if we can work on the um, What's the other nutrient that you think is very related to microbial activity? Manganese was one. Was copper iron's another one? Iron, iron's another, another one. one. Is copper? Copper's another one. Zinc okay. to some degree, too. Okay. So the micronutrients for the most part. Yeah. For, for, don't okay. know about boron much. Right. Um, zinc, not as much. But uh, zinc, I think about fungal nutrition more than bacterial nutrition. Bacterial nutrition, I think, in manganese. But okay. anyway, so manganese is a tough element, but um, and I don't know about your soils, but I know in the South, in um, Virginia and North Carolina, 
And you can see the same thing too, if you're careful, you'll look where a field gets tinged by nitrogen, but there'll be a spot over here where it hasn't been or a spot over here where it hasn't been. Yep. It's not very, generally speaking, you see a hundred percent uniform through the whole field. So you just go and take, that's what we did. So that, the, the Ooh. interesting thing to me is we, we look at soils under a microscope, right? And we look at the bacteria and the fungus and all that fun stuff. And what I've noticed over the past couple years is the sandier soils have more fungus. Um, and my opinion is your, your manganese, your zinc, your iron, your copper. I think the fungus has a lot to do with those micronutrients that are more available at lower pHs. So it's, it's interesting that, and even if you talk about bacterial, you know, uh, nutrition, bacteria reducing nutrients for us, um, you guys, the soil just breathes better than ours. And, and I know, you know, because of the sandy soils, you, the fungus has more room to grow. You're going to have more fun, fungi and sandier soils than clay soils. And your soil is breathing better. Through. Yeah, you're breathing better. You're getting oxygen, right. which is another key thing for microbial activity. So there's well, a couple of reasons yeah, that's that right. I would speculate that we see those differences. I could so, see. Yeah. Uh, yes, that, I, that's, I that's, the, that's the challenge we get into as a company is we got guys in North Dakota asking for help. We got guys in Illinois asking for help. We got guys in, in Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, Nebraska, and they're all different. They're all different. You know, you can't yes. just take the same exact mentality across the nation. Yes. Well, you can, but it, it, it's not going to work very well. Yeah, but that's where you get inconsistencies. So, anyway, food for thought. Just throwing that out there because I thought think it's think it's fascinating. Um, okay, so cool season diseases. Um, and then, mm -hmm. then we come after that, pretty much the next application we're going to be making is flag leaf, right? Um, no, flag, the next application, no, the next well, the second nitrogen is application is going to happen second, first. It comes when the, uh, the growing point moves above the soil. We, we're at growth stage 30. We use, uh, Zadox at North Carolina uses Feeks. It'd be Feeks 5, Zadox 30. Yep. And that head is getting ready to move. Is that when you have holes in the stems? Holes in the stems. Yep. That's how I remember it. <laughs> um, yes. And that's, and we'll do that that's when the second nitrogen app. app. Sir, you'll, I'm sorry. You'll take, uh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was just saying that's the next nitrogen app. So you'll, you'll take another tissue sample. Correct. And based on what that tells us, if right. we need some zinc, if we need some molly, if we need some boron. Well, we, how much more whatever, nitrogen? How much more nitrogen mainly? Uh, and that's the big one we use it for. And then that's, in my mind, it's really. Because you've got, you've got a number. You've got a, you've got, you've got a chart that we use that shows if your nitrogen's here at this growth stage, this is how many pounds we're putting on. If it's here, right. this is how many pounds we're putting on. If it's here, this is how many right. pounds we're putting on. Correct. Okay. And that's at that GS30. Correct. Okay. Got it. And then after that, then we're then we're at flag leaf the application Correct. would be the next right. thing going on and the flag leaf application is the last chance to impact with a lot of the micronutrients right certainly with nitrogen with and nitrogen. i don't know about maybe 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 boron but okay. almost all the elements at that point should have been addressed already should have been addressed by then we're okay. just we're taking that one 
So flag leaf, flag leaf on wheat's kind of like tassel on corn. If you didn't do anything with micronutrients by then, it's debatable what you're going to get out of it now. Yes, we don't have data. We can all suspect and have anecdotal evidence that we did this at this stage and we got a great response, but Uh there's nothing that we can dig out in the literature. There's nothing that we can make happen. I know in the literature, it's very clear, like on molybdenum for test weight and falling numbers, your molybdenum has to be in the plant by flag leaf or you cannot impact it. Okay. The, 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 The literature went on and on about that. Okay. About being too late. So, the other reason why we're taking it is because of the spring or warm season wheat diseases that are starting to come into play. Uh-huh. Now, this has changed a lot. So, in 2016, 2017, they finally put a gene that was discovered really in 2002, 2003 as a, a gene that helps the plant or gives the plant some resistance to head scab. Okay. Which is the bane of winter wheat east of the Mississippi River where it rains. So they put this F1HB or BH gene in more and more wheat varieties. Uh huh. And that does help with infections of scab. Now, I don't want to go into the weeds about all that. However, our observation has been that any wheat variety that got that scab gene in it gave up resistance to gloom blotch. We thought, what the heck? We hadn't seen gloom blotch in years. And all of a sudden, here it is running rampant. That's what I was showing you in the field. I said, this is gloom blotch. This is really a bear. Mm-hmm. Gloom blotch, once it starts, is I would tell you that no fungicide will control it. Okay. This is this is it runs rampant. And here in eastern Virginia, one year where people did not address it, it actually ate the pieces of the plant that held the seed in place on the head. And if you tap that stem, the seed would just fall on the ground. So they couldn't wow. harvest. I mean, they would put run a harvester through it, but half the crop was on the floor, on the ground. Wow. So if you've got an eight, if you've got a wheat variety with this F1 HB or BH or FHB1, I'm not sure, I don't remember the sequence anyway, the scab gene in it, our recommendation is go out there at flag, full flag leaf emergence before mm-hmm. the head emerges and hit it with a non strobe fungicide. Okay. You cannot use a strobe. No strobe. FHB1. So, Cerium head blight resistance gene FHB1. Yes. Okay. No strobe. Cannot use a strobe. That enhances scab. Enhances yeah. the scab, huh? Yeah, it doesn't just not control it. It actually enhances it. It actually encourages the fungus that causes scab. That's pretty Which pertinent. Is a fusarium. It's a fusarium. Okay. So, that's, that's a bad deal. It's a bad deal. Okay. So then, then you should be okay for scab. Then, but most of us who don't have the scab-resistant gene in their varieties are going to wait until the wheat head 
is out. It's flowering. Then we're going to put that fungicide on it flowering. Okay. And that's going to be, for most of us, it's going to be Mirabus Ace. That's the best one right now. How many people, how many of your growers are making two fungicides on, on wheat? Is that pretty much standard two or is it? Yeah, two is the standard. Three in some cases for seeing. Okay. But um, depending on your yeah, scab there's resistance. A lot of, uh, I'm sorry? Depending on your scab resistance and. Yeah, depending on which one they have, the scab resistance. And even the one that got the flag leaf application, because it is scab resistant, if it's bad, I mean, it's raining and it's warm. Uh huh. They may have to still use the scab application. At flowering. At flowering. Okay. All right. Just making sure I'm tracking here. Yeah. There's, okay. There's, there's four different phases of scab infection, and this FHB1 has the one that's most common for us, okay. as opposed to Montana, where they have their summer wheat that they don't have. They have a different infection period. This fusarium's a moving target. It okay. doesn't work. Them. But anyway, that's that's that's. It's you got to be. You got to react to the weather. I mean, in most years, most cases, that scab gene works really well in eastern Virginia and North Carolina. However, there, when it, you get, was it one year we had 18 days of rainfall? It was just an unbelievable amount of rainfall, just mm -hmm. unreal. And uh, people that had the gene, they didn't have as bad as, but they, if they had to do it all over again, they had to spray. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Gotcha. Now you've had some you've we've we've seen some wheat yields and you've had some customers that have had some pretty stout yeah. wheat yields, um, like real stout. Um, we've had some videos that were unbelievable, but you have you have some official numbers of some some of the high yield, like I think the contest entry of what was it about one hundred and fifty bushel wheat. Yeah, so we've passed that. We're over one hundred and fifty. We had one guy that showed a video of his combine over 200 bushel wheat, soft red winter wheat. Yep, I remember that video. And that guy's, um, he's not a BSer either, so. You know, I, I, I tell you, that, that's the potential. And here's, okay, sound like a broken record. What's the most limiting factor on wheat? Well, where we are here, you used to never, the wheat would never join much before April 1st. You could set a watch by it. Okay. Uh, as the farmers kept asking the breeders for earlier, earlier, earlier mature in wheat so they can get their beans in earlier, now a lot of these wheat varieties are heading the middle of March instead of the end of March, 1st of April. And the last two weeks of March, if, if you get temperatures 24, 25 degrees with low wind and low dew points, it smacks that main tiller. Mm -hmm. That main tiller is responsible for 60% of our yield. So if you're cutting 80 bushel wheat and you're all excited about it, if we hadn't gotten that freeze, 80, you'd have been cutting 133 bushel. I mean, there's no way that we should not, not be cutting 150 bushel wheat. This freeze damage is real. Um, and two years ago, we got it. We didn't, didn't freeze. A lot, of, a lot of times that last, the, the good news about the last two weeks of March is that it happens early enough to where the second, third, and fourth position tillers 
have enough time to make up the yield. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Part of the yield, Cody, not all of it, but part of it. If this freeze event happens in May, you've cut your yield so dramatically because you, you, fro- you froze the main tiller and the secondary tillers. Okay. So now you've taken about 75% of your yield out of the picture. Wow. So um, I'm sure there's a lot of varieties that get kicked off the farm just because they were early heading, right? And they didn't know correct. it. And they had freeze damage and they didn't even know it. Oh, because you, you won't see the... it, right? Didn't you tell me that the main tiller stays green longer when it had freeze damage? No, the main tiller, the main tiller it? will stay, it'll stay greener, but you won't see the head come out. But there's a lot of ways, but I've had to take many of inspector for crop insurance out there to show what freeze damage and wheat looks like. I can tell you that. I wouldn't. They just don't, they don't I, know. I remember you mentioning it. You said something about the, was it the stem that was green? Yeah, the stem. It was something that was bass backwards of what I thought it would be. Yeah, well, what, it's it's this, this, the, the stem will stay green, but when the whole plant's drying down, all of a sudden you look at the base of the plant and it's starting to grow new tillers out from the base of the plant. Okay. So that's gotcha. one way to tell. We have photographs, but a lot of times, two weeks after the event, we have to go out there and find the head to see if the head's still alive. A lot of times, it's white, white as a ghost, which tells you it's dead. But if you're not out there looking hard at that, you'll you you might just be like, "Oh, this wheat sucked." Yeah, the, yes, and that and that's you why the the last of the late maturing late heart late maturing wheats. Uh-huh. Roan was one. Shirley is still in the market today. Shirley still. You'll be you'll be harvested July fourth, but it survives that freeze, which is what puts the yields up so high. And now you know, surely was terrible wheat because of scab, but now that we have the chemicals control scab, it's making a surgence back in. And we've asked the breeders for fuller season wheats, at least wheats that wouldn't join till after the first of April, but we're not making very much success. Gotcha. But that just gives you the that gives you the potential of where we should be, where we could right, be. Right. Uh, one last thing I want to touch on um, before we wrap this up is planting depth, seeding depth, whatever you want to call it. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So emergence depth. Emergence depth. So we, you brought this to our attention, and we noticed um, when we very start, first started working with you um, – we had some fields that just didn't look very good. You know, January came here, got cold, got wet, got snow, got ice, thawed out, froze again, blah, blah, blah. And it just looked like crap, you know, and it was strips in the field too. Um, and we went out, it's like, how come the corn behind bean, or sorry, the wheat behind beans looks so much better than the wheat behind corn? And what we saw was, all right, especially where the combines are throwing a lot of corn residue, you know, um, sometimes there's area strips in the field where it's heavier residue and then right. right next to it's less. Um, we saw that wheat was struggling the worst. Well, they, they got really poor, um, emergence depth, uh, on the wheat behind corn. Um, especially if it was broadcast and just worked in, um, it was super inconsistent. So let, what are you looking for as far as, planting slash planting depth what what do you plant at what's your emergence depth goal um and how does that impact our wheat when we get really shallow emerged wheat 
Okay. We it's try to get questions. The, yeah, that's okay. We, we <laughs> to answer your question. We try to get the wheat planted at least an inch deep, an inch below the soil, not below the trash. Okay. All right. Um, the reason for that is that the seed piece, the seed itself, is the wheat's thermometer. Okay. So if it's shallow, now, you're not going to see much of it till after, you know, December 20th, 21st, 22nd, whenever that winter solstice is. Yep. As the days get longer after that, the plant's trying to make a decision what it wants to do. Yep. So when the light gets, the day's lengths get longer, it says, okay, I want to start growing, give it an opportunity. You get these warm days. Why you see it now is that you get a fluctuation in temperatures. So it might be 60 degrees one day and two days later, 22 degrees or 20 degrees. You get these 40 degree swings in temperatures. The plant, solid days were getting longer. It felt the warm temperatures. It says, okay, baby, it's time to grow. Uh -huh. And all of a sudden, that sledgehammer of a temperature comes in on there and knocks the snot right out of it. Mm -hmm. And it goes, well, that didn't feel good. So if it got cold and stayed cold, you wouldn't hardly, most years you wouldn't notice it. It's right. when you get these fluctuations in temperatures, especially in January and February, that really, really, really confuses the plant. Uh-huh. If you continue to have this kind of thing, which it seems like our springs are more and more likely to do, they're, you know, the springs are lasting longer into April. It doesn't really get cold now. You know, we used to, our frost date was April, excuse me, our frost date was October 15th. Now it's November 1st. <coughs> excuse me. So we're, we're seem to be pushing everything back. Okay. It's not, to my knowledge, once that happens, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't make it up with more nitrogen. You cannot make it up. Uh, I don't know if you could throw more dirt on it or whatever. I don't know. You just have to live with it. But it, it's like everything else. It costs you. And you can tell because that seed piece, there should be a gap, at least a half inch, between the seed and the bottom of the plant. We've shown that on corn enough. Uh-huh. So the mesocotyl should be at least a half sure. inch it's either mesocotyl or hypocotyl i forget which one's corn which one's wheat you can tell the seed piece if you can't if that seed piece is right there on top of the ground or there's no little underground stem between that and the bottom of the plant it did not germinate very deep okay <coughs> planting in light sandy soil fluffy soil worked up ground plant it then all of a sudden the rain comes the dirt settles, the soil settles, the seed piece moves up. That's what happens a lot of times. No-till uh, corn, it gets lodged or down, and it's hard to get that seed in the ground because the trash. That's another place that happens. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. And that, so when it's shallow like that, you're saying it just it's just super stressful to the plant. Just incredibly with temperature fluctuation after the winter solstice. Okay. What about nutrient uptake being impacted? Oh, it'll, it, it doesn't. It does? It doesn't know what to do. Okay. Okay. It'll so you just cause like, all kinds of problems. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, we we see it a lot, and so I like to mention to guys, 
just another thing to go check. Um, right. Especially the broadcast worked in. It's like, ooh, that makes me just, makes me cringe now. I've seen enough of, that just doesn't, doesn't usually seem to work out very well. Well, you and I have had conversations about tissue sampling. Uh-huh. So I have a girl right here. Just two weeks ago, he called me up. Da, 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 I said, I know what it is. I know that spot. I promise you it's seed depth. I can't get there. You can't do anything about it. Let's wait till you know the end of January. I can look. Well, he said, okay, but obviously he wasn't happy. So he sent a, uh, a fertilizer rep out there. And that yep. person took tissue samples. Niagara mm-hmm. came back like one and a half percent. It's supposed to be four and a half. Phosphorus came back at 10% of what it should have been. And the recommendation from the lab was a half a page long of all these things that he should go out and apply. Yeah. That's a place where taking a tissue sample doesn't do you any good. It's going to be crappy. Okay. Okay. A very It's a very scientific term. Yeah. It's going to be crappy. Okay. So it's not a place to use a tissue sample. It's just you take a shovel and check <clears throat> and see what's going on. Okay. In my opinion, you do what you want, but that's sure. my opinion good to know that's why we that's why we brought you here to get your opinion (laughs) um okay uh i think that will sum it up for wheat production that's some of the key stuff you know the applications we're getting ready to make what we're looking at what we're looking for um i wanted to talk about emergence depth um, because I, i see it as a widespread problem and you know the good thing is every farmer when they hear this they'll get their shovel out and they'll go dig and they'll check it every one of them I hope so. <laughs> Kidding. Um, but it, if you want our opinion, that's something you should be doing. Um, so, okay, we'll we'll wrap up there. Thank you, Paul. Very helpful. Um, we're going to have Paul on the next episode uh, where we're going to talk about uh, kind of the top five things that, that we feel are most important to keep in mind for corn production. Um, for this this upcoming season Um, and there's a long list of things that are important but we kind of whittled it down to what's the top five things that we want to focus on Um, so the next episode we'll talk about that so i hope you guys come back um, and listen to the next one and thank you guys for tuning into this one